Welcome to the Decaf Recap. Here's where we talk about movies, comics, and animation after their hype is passed and go about recapping the story and key parts of the narrative that made the story successful. Today's discussion is the movie Blade, starring Wesley Snipes. Now, the movie Blade came out in the late 90s and was the first commercially successful comic book movie uh, that came out by Marvel. And there's a couple of reasons for this. One of the key factors is the fact that they actually took the source material seriously. They did not take a backseat to the movie itself. Um, certain things weren't cut out, or Hollywood didn't have such a, a intervention with the story that it became unrecognizable to fans. And even though the character Blade is a minor comic book character in Marvel, and currently doesn't have any stories out that I'm aware of, Blade, uh, the movie, was probably the high point for the character mainly because he got his own spotlight. They were able to explore more of the character's insight and psyche and conviction. And they had the actor Wesley Snipes, who was definitely involved in the role. So far that Wesley Snipes did a lot of method acting for the character, which is really unseen or unheard of in a lot of comic book movies up until that point. He was also involved in the editing of the film in many aspects. Um... And that includes the CGI, removing it where it just uh, wasn't developed for the times. And as a result, we get the movie Blade. We get a movie that has practical action for the most part, uh, a good narrative um, for an action film, and ultimately, all around, just a, a successful a successful comic book movie. But uh, let's dive into the story. What made the story work? Just a quick rundown of what happens. So Blade is introduced uh, doing what he does as he is going about uh, as a vampire hunter hunting vampires uh, in a nightclub of all places, but it was the 90s, so I guess that's, that's where people were at late at night um, if you're a vampire, but that aside, so Blade is hunting vampires and comes across uh, a, our main antagonist, a vampire named Deacon Frost, who is attempting to cause some sort of vampire apocalypse by becoming something called the Blood God. A blade stops him in an epic fight scene that happens in this weird type of tomb, and ultimately the story ends with Blade continuing what he does, which is kill vampires. But is there more to the narrative than just what we're given? Well, for starters, Blade isn't just a vampire slayer like Van Helsing. Van Helsing was a human being who was going out and fighting vampires such as Dracula. Instead, Blade is a hybrid between vampire and human, and is completely uh, immune to all the weaknesses of a vampire, and, but has all their strength and stamina. The only thing that he suffers from, as far as vampirism, is the idea that he still needs to drink blood in order to survive. And as a result, he constantly uses a serum as a substitute for blood in order to maintain some sort of human appearance, or not to become the very prey that he's hunting. But uh, Blade in the film is called a, a, called a daywalker as a result of this, because he can survive out in sunlight where other vampires cannot. And there's something very interesting about that right off the bat. I mean, you have a uh, vampire hunter who's also a vampire, and that's been done plenty of other times. But I think it's here in the movie Blade where we kind of see something uh, new to the character uh, because of how he is depicted. So... His origin is given to us by his de facto father figure, who is known as Wessler. And Wessler is a vampire hunter who is just a regular human being who found Blade at an early age, 
realized what he was and decided to take him in and train him in order to fight vampires. And it's here where we get the origin for Blade, how he became the Daywalker. So Wessler, as his de facto father figure, gives his origin, or what he knows to be the origin of Blade, which is that Blade was attacked, um, or Blade's mother was attacked by a vampire right before she gave birth to Blade, and as a result, there was this freak accident where he became a hybrid. Uh, Blade's mother was killed during childbirth, and as a result, Blade ended up an orphan and eventually homeless, developing the vampire gene later in his teenage years, ended up having to feed on the homeless in order to survive. So what's interesting about his his origin, at least to me, is that uh, it gives full motivation for why Blade uh, does what he does. I mean, anyone can hunt vampires, uh, but for him it's just personal vendetta and a crusade, but it's seen that he blames vampires for causing his entire um, impoverished life and isolation uh, since his birth, since he, he was born uh, with the curse, or later developed the curse of vampire, vampirism, and was ultimately uh, left without a uh, mother, a father, an identity, um, food, shelter, and basically was just uh, deprived of, of human interaction uh, as a result of this vampire attack on his mother. So right off the bat, you have the motivation for the character, for what he's doing and why he's doing it. But as the film progresses, we learn that vampires aren't just people who are going out in nightclubs and partying and occasionally killing the random host or guest of honor. No, it turns out that there's a lot more, um, a lot more at stake and there's something more sinister happening behind the curtain. It turns out that uh, the vampires have something called the Vampire Nation, which is basically a secret society of wealthy elite uh, vampires who are just trying to maintain the status quo of their secrecy, but also make sure that um, they continue to to exist in secrecy. And that right off the bat has something that I think is unique to, to a film like this. I mean, sure, there's been movies, games, and a lot of other comics that depict the idea of vampires being some sort of uh, dark lords or overlords over humans and something of the sort. Uh, using us as cattle, using the human race as cattle in general. But in the movie Blade, they show these rich elite vampires uh, who are hiding in the shadows um, in a secret society instead of them being these creatures that rule over an, ent an entire uh, world scene or something like that, like the Illuminati. Instead, they're just shown as businessmen. They're just shown as people who are attempting just to maintain the status quo, which is, one, their secrecy, and two, their supply of human blood. But nothing else seems to be coming about. The vampire nation doesn't seem to be trying to take over the world, uh, maybe influence it here and there, but mainly they're just trying to maintain the status quo uh, like a business. And as the uh, ruling uh, class of vampires, they explain in the film that they that the the vampire nation is run by something called purebloods, which are just people who are born as vampires. But uh, as a result of that, anyone who is turned uh, by vampirism are seen as second-class citizens. And this is embodied in the main antagonist of the film, Deacon Frost. So Deacon Frost is kind of like an enforcer for the secret society of vampires, or vampire nation, and he is on the council of vampires representing the vampire nation, but is not respected by them at all. Uh, the rest of the vampires who are purebloods amongst this little um, business meeting in one, in one scenes of the movie uh, 
look down at Deacon Frost. They declare him a lesser being for the vampire race, a disgrace, um, that he does not represent, in a sense, the vampire uh, nation, and that he never will. And that's a problem for Deacon Frost right off the bat, because his whole system of belief is around the idea that he should have it all. That vampires should have it all, that he's a vampire, and therefore someone's got to be at the top of the food chain and should be ruling over the humans, not just hiding in the shadows. And that goes against the vampire nation, as they just want to maintain their status quo, not just of uh, vampirism and being a, a secret nation in general, uh, but mainly just their assets. They mention in the film that the uh, more incidences they have where vampires are seen in public, they have to cover up those incidents, and that costs them money. And as a result, they just want to maintain the idea that vampires are secret in order to uh, maintain their offshore accounts and profits um, a secret as well. And so even though they influence things behind the scenes here and there, uh, like they influence the police in the film, the idea that you can't just go to the government or government officials because they're also under the thumb of the vampire nation, at the end of the day, it seems like they're just doing it to exist, and to make profit. As a result of conflict of interest between the Vampire Nation Council and Deacon Frost, Deacon Frost eventually takes the council hostage and prepares them for a sacrifice of sort in order to create a prophecy. Um, and in the film, they explain this away as that there's something called the Vampire Bible. They have a much cooler name for it, but they just refer to everything in the film just by vampire this, vampire that. Uh, that aside, though, in this uh, prophecy, basically it explains that there's a way how to resurrect something called the Blood God, who basically would resurrect the vampire apocalypse and turn most of humanity into vampires and basically just rule over uh, a bloody kingdom of sorts. And as a result of this, Blade obviously is intervening and finds the Vampire Bible, realizes that there's something else afoot rather than just uh, Deacon Frost's regular plans or regular uh, planned nightclub uh, massacres and things of the sort, and is going about trying to figure out what would what's happening, why are they trying to do this now? And so, just to uh, analyze the whole scene of the three main the three main entities I see in the film, you have Blade, who is the embodiment of just a self-made man, uh, someone who is shown with discipline lack of emotion, and is ultimately just a machine for one job and one job only, which is killing vampires. And then the second entity you have in this film is the wealthy elite secret society of vampires who represent the vampire nation. And they seem to grow and exist only to make profit rather than to have some sort of ultimate devious scheme or goal in mind um, for the vampire nation. Instead of trying to rule the world, they're just there to exist under the, um, behind the light and make profit where they can. And the third character which represents all this is Deacon. So Deacon obviously is um, belittled by the vampire nation. He's seen as a lesser because he was turned by vampirism instead of being born a vampire. And right off the bat wants to change that entire attitude or his um, situation of being a product of his environment by trying to make his environment a product of him. And he plans to do so by trying to fulfill some sort of ancient prophecy involving sacrificing the Vampire Nation council members as well as using Blade as a conduit in order to resurrect the Blood God. So, really cool stuff uh, if, you're, if you're into that type of uh, jam as far as, you know, dark prophecies, vampires, secret societies, and one man versus an entire nation. 
And this movie delivers on that. For the most part, that's all there, and you can enjoy it as much as you want. But then, uh, towards the third act, they start to really uh, throw a wrench in the whole big showdown between Deacon Frost and Blade. And that wrench comes in the form of Blade's mother. So when Blade is tr hunting down, trying to find um, Deacon Frost in his, uh, in his little uh, complex or apartment complex, he comes across not Deacon Frost, but instead a bedchamber where uh, Deacon Frost kept Blade's mother. And it turns out, as Blade is being uh, is taken by surprise and is, um, is, is being beat down by a bunch of guards belonging to Deacon Frost, it turns out that Deacon Frost, or Deacon Frost reveals, that he is the one who turned Blade's mother into a vampire, and that she did not die during childbirth, but instead has just been living out her days as a vampire. And as a result, Blade is shook is shook into the core as far as his um, resolve for killing vampires, because this whole time he was lack he had a lack of identity involving any sort of blood relatives, pun not intended. And in this situation, he finds his mother, and it's a little bit wishy washy how he knows this is his mother because he never really saw her. Um, maybe the idea is that he had some sort of uh, photographs of her or was given some sort of information on what his mother looked like when he was uh, still a child, maybe in an orphanage. Again, it's not really explained. It's kind of left up for uh, debate. But that aside, in the film, this is shown to be his real mother. And as a result, Blade doesn't know what to do. He's captured. Uh, the thirst is getting to him because he hasn't been able to take a serum because they just basically starved him of blood, um, which is really his own which is really his own weakness or something that he deliberately allows uh, to happen to him. But nonetheless, doesn't have a serum, uh, can't fight back, and is ultimately just very pissed off at the whole situation, specifically to Deacon, in the situation where now he knows, okay, this is the, this is the guy who's responsible for my entire, uh, like the entire misery of my childhood, the death of my mother, um, or supposed death of my mother, and is ultimately just goes about the whole thing as just blaming this one singular dude, Deacon but has no ability to really do anything to stop him at this point um, just because he lacks any sort of blood or any sort of uh, um, energy to continue. And on top of that, he still has to deal with the conflict of uh, what to do with his mother. Because his mother is not just um, with Deacon, but is a situation where she is completely loyal to him and just follows more or less his entire, um, entire ideology that they're going to rule over um, the earth and just be like vampire gods. So much so that she's the one who actually uh, puts um, Blade in the contraption they're going to use to siphon off his blood, which is apparently the key to causing the whole uh, prophecy or to commencing the whole prophecy or ritual to create the blood god. And so this isn't hugely significant. In fact, this is probably one of the more boring parts of the time in the movie because uh, in about 20 minutes or so, nothing really happens. It's mainly just a lot of tension trying to build. Um, you have the council members who are gathering around, and they're being—they're just about to be sacrificed. And once that happens, you get the idea that their um, their pure blood souls are just fused into Deacon, along with uh, siphoning off some of the blood belonging to Blade, and that creates a blood god or something of the sort. But what's important about the scene is how Blade deals with the conflict of his, his mother. 
because his mother declares that she's not the same person, that she's different, that she's killed, she's enjoyed it, uh, and that Blade shouldn't be fighting his nature too, since he is also a vampire, and at that, he's technically a pureblood. He's a hybrid vampire, where he's, you know, half human, half vampire, but he was born with the vampire gene. And so, in a sense, he has uh, more, uh, more, would have higher status or high status claim than Deacon himself. But he was never really um, brought or up, brought into the fold of the vampire nation. He was uh, born into a life of poverty. He had a lack of identity and had no real, uh, real outlet to exist. It wasn't until Whistler came along and really helped him and uh, actually catered to him and allowed him to become um, not just his own person, but a person with a drive, a goal. In this case, kill all vampires. So, eventually, Blade makes the uh, resolution that he must uh, kill his mother in order to uh, save her from vampirism. It doesn't get into the whole idea of soul-saving or anything like that, but purely the idea that even though um, she's a vampire, he cannot... Um, he cannot tolerate that, he cannot allow her to continue to kill, and so decides to kill her himself. And eventually, right after that, leads into one epic fight scene, I would say, for the most part of the film, where you have the third act of the film, which is just one big, huge brawl between Blade, a bunch of goons who get their just completely destroyed, and then eventually Deacon and Blade fight off each other, uh, fight off one-on-one. And that's when it all ends in one big, really bloody mess. And so the film just kind of ends on this uh, note that Blade hasn't changed, that he's still uh, fighting vampires, and the only real uh, change in his goals now is that his um, father figure, de facto father figure, Whistler, who he thought was dead, turns out was uh, captured by vampires and is right now being held captive somewhere um, else in the world by the vampire nation. So we get the idea that he's going to go out there and rescue Whistler, which is how the first film ends. But I think there's uh, more to analyze than just um, just to that conclusion. Uh, now, as a little side note, the original script apparently had uh, Blade rising from the surface of where the ritual took place and where he fought and defeated uh, Deacon Frost. And when he gets to the surface, he turns out like the entire world has become... Uh, mostly vampires, it was supposed to be all apocalyptic, it was supposed to be like some really crazy stuff, um, kind of like uh, uh, I Am Legend, except in a situation where there's still like some humans left, but not a whole lot. Apparently, the directors decided not to go with that ending because it was too dark, um, or the, pro or the uh, producers, I think, actually decided not to go with that ending because they considered it too dark. So it mainly just ends with the idea of Blade deciding he's going to go out and just kill more vampires. And even though the film ending isn't the most satisfying ending for the first film, because um, it just kind of ends on a same note or a similar note that we have in the middle of the film, uh, there is something I find interesting about the character of Blade. Because most of his actions, even though there's a lot of personal vendetta involved, and he has uh, plenty of reason to go after the vampire nation and vampires in general, he does have the urge to kind of be human and try to kind of earn that adaptation of being human, even though he goes about it by killing off vampires, which is, in a sense, uh, reflecting on him himself, because he's trying to also kill off the part of him that is a vampire, that small little iota of himself that demands or requires blood in order to survive. 
And so there is that type of internal conflict with the character, even though it only shows on the surface a few times of the film, and I'd argue the trilogy. But the character Blade is still one that I th think is very much backed by altruism. Unlike a lot of other superheroes, he doesn't have fame or fortune uh, he's not rooted for and is, um, for the most part, considered either an outlaw or just someone who exists uh, outside of the spectrum of the superhero world, at least within the Marvel Universe. And as a result, most of what he does, he purely just does because he feels it is right. He feels that he needs to stop um, the disease of vampirism as best he can, however he can, and does show that he has some sort of a conflict in order to kind of uh, become human or kind of upholds humans uh, on a pedestal as being not something exactly righteous, but something that's um, not that shouldn't be treated as cattle. So there is that in the film. More than anything, I enjoyed the fact that Blade as a character remains more in the shadows and is more secretive than really out in the public eye. He kind of represents, in a sense, uh, what happens when someone does good for good's sake, but does not exactly um, demand fame or fortune. And he's not entirely perfect. He still has that motivation and vendetta, vendetta that is definitely the thing that um, pursues him or leads him to continue pursuing uh, vampires and killing off vampires. But the idea is that he is completely self-made. Whistler definitely trained him and built him arms, but Whistler didn't really make him into the warrior he is. Using a sword and all that are skills he either picked up on his, his own merit uh, or just out of uh, sheer tenacity and willpower. And I think that's a lot different than a lot of other superheroes, especially that we have nowadays. I mean, Black Panther is a very successful movie franchise so far, and definitely is something that has just become a cornerstone for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But the thing about Black Panther that I want to point out is that Black Panther is not just the king of a nation, but was raised and born to be a king. He is designed to be, uh, in a sense, a hero, a ruler. And there's nothing wrong with that, but the idea is that he didn't accomplish that on his own, um, his own skill alone. He had trainers. He had an entire fortune behind him, a legacy, an entire history, uh, as well as advanced technology that allows him to become the Black Panther. And though that is something that is um, shown nowadays and is being upheld as far as uh, superhero movies go, there is an interesting factor that Blade as a, as a superhero is not just lesser known, but also uh, has different qualities than a lot of other superheroes. Uh, unlike Tony Stark, who is rich and famous and continues to gain rich and fame through his her heroism, Blade gains no real uh, her uh, fame from his heroic acts or what we might consider heroic acts. Now, in the film, it does explain that he funds his operation by robbing the very people he murders and kills, who are mainly vampires, occasionally humans who they've dubbed familiars, which are like uh, basically indentured servants to vampires um, or to a specific vampire, and they have a, a brand to prove that. But the idea is that, for the most part, Blade is trying to take on an entire nation, an entire nation of vampires that exist within the shadow, uh, that doesn't really um, do anything, that, that does its own type of harm to society, uh, both in the fact that they kill people, but in also in the fact that they just control uh, and try to maintain a status quo of the systems and how they are. And that includes politics, and that also includes um, the police force and government. And so Blade is the wrench in that whole system. He is a hybrid between human and vampire. He walks kind of both paths, 
but amongst all, he is neither uh, a vampire nor human in his actions. Because even though he kills off vampires, he's not very social or even goes out uh, into the human world. Whether it's the idea that he is disgusted by it or the idea that he feels he doesn't deserve it, one way or another, he is just kind of this guardian or sees himself as a guardian in order to protect the humans from the vampires. And that is more or less as far as he goes. He doesn't uh, gain anything from what he does. So there's a lot of sacrifice within the character that I find interesting, unlike a lot of other uh, mainstream uh, Marvel characters that we have nowadays. Because um, the idea that he's uh, more or less backed by altruism or his personal vendetta. But his, his results are the same, where he's not taking advantage of the people he saves, um, or he's not taking advantage of the culture um, or society that he's trying to protect. He is simply a watcher. He is simply there and trying to, to do what he sees is right. Now, I will say that his actions are borderline, not just vigilante, but almost borderline secret police, in a sense, because he goes out there, he decides what's right and wrong um, based on his own input in the, his situation. And as a result of that, Blade is not a character that could exist for long as, uh, a, as a hero or as a superhero. Because even though he's going out and stopping people from dying from vampire attacks, the longer such a thing continues, um, the more and more he's more or less just imposing his will over other people. He's not allowing people to really know about vampires. Vampires are just kind of kept secret. He just tries to stay in the middle and make sure that people uh, don't get harmed by them and basically is trying to make erase them uh, from history. Since they're all very... All very already a secretive society. He's just trying to eliminate them before anyone can blow the whistle on them. And it's not that that, is, that makes him unknowable, but the idea is that no one knows what happens to Blade after all the vampires are killed off. And you can say that about a lot of other uh, characters in comic book movies. Um, Hellboy, there's a scene in the first Hellboy movie that came out uh, when... People were uh, when uh, his boss basically asks him, "Once you locked up every freak, once you've locked up every demon, there's always going to be one left, and that's you." And so the question is, like, where does the character go from there? Like, what happens when all the vampires are dead? What happens when all the monsters are dead? And that's never, I think, fully been explored or answered. The first film definitely showed us, you know, who Blade is, uh, why he can't um, be with the humans as a result of just his lifestyle and the people who he's made an enemy. Um, but the second film dives a little bit more into the idea of why he can't be with the vampires either. And that's mainly just in the format that, uh, when Blade does meet, when he finally does meet a vampire, um, who's a pureblood like him, who challenges him on the idea that he should be at peace with what he does, um, he's left with the result that he ultimately... Um, believes it's fate that he has to fight the vampires, that he's the one who kind of like holds back the tide, even if it's just with a broomstick. And for the most part, the first two films are pretty solid. Uh, I'm mainly just talking about the first film because that is the one that I wanted to cover the most in this recap. Um, the second film, though, definitely uh, is a, a greater a greater film in some aspects. Uh, there's a lot more action, there's a lot more uh, development with the character in uh, minor te uh, in minor senses, as well as the fact that there's just um, a lot in, a, a few new characters here and there to enjoy uh, and pick and prod apart. The third film, however, is just kind of flies off the rails. 
it has some great actors, but it falls um, short of the other two films, mainly because it has a childish sense of humor that goes towards the film rather than giving a decent conclusion to Blade and what Blade would do when his crusade is over. Because that's never really been answered. Um, no one knows exactly what happens to Blade once he's finished uh, his mission in killing all vampires. And it's really a shame that uh, it's never been explained or explored with, uh, with what happens there. In many ways, Blade can just as easily become the villain as a result of killing off vampires. And there's in the, in the sequel to Blade, you get the idea that not all vampires uh, have a choice in the matter because other vampires who are, or who are purebloods and are born as a vampire kind of just fall into that category. And Blade is a pureblood, and he never really um, really addresses the issue of is it right to kill people who are born as a vampire as he is. And so there is um, some uh, hypocrisy to what he does, especially more in the sequel uh, when he's confronted with that idea and where to go from there, but ultimately just continues doing what he does um, because he's seen the damage that's caused by vampirism and declares it kind of a necessary evil, um, or that he's a necessary evil to the vampire race and just has to be there um, in order to get in order to get rid of them, in order to contain them at the very least. And so ultimately, there's some interesting factors with the character um, here and there. I do think that there is a lot more to the story and to the character that can be explored, um, but it is difficult to, to really just try to create a character or to develop a character who is devoid of emotion, who is more or less just a silent warrior of the night, and just walks around kicking ass and taking names. There's not much more to Blade uh, other than that um, for an action franchise. So they've never really been able to uh, expand upon him past that in the first three films. And even though they tried a TV series, um, that wasn't widely successful and it didn't really add anything new to the character from what I understand. And as far as the comics go right now, it's a situation where there's not much they know how to um, go about creating the character or developing the character any different. And I don't know. It's something that I think could uh, come back. I'd like Blade to come to make a comeback. It's uh, just a question of how someone would do it and whether or not it would work. A TV series, um, like on Netflix, would definitely be something that would be useful for explaining the character and exploring the character in further depth. But uh, for the most part, it seems like he's kind of just destined for tragedy. He's destined for some sort of, um, maybe not a noble end, but at the very least... He might eventually just go out quietly. Uh, at least in the first film, it's explained that he does age like a regular human being, so he's not immortal like a vampire. I don't know if that's exactly the same as in the comics. Um, and the comics really haven't explored Blade for a long time now, to my understanding, just because there's not uh, not much more to explore with the character, or unless you took a lot of risks with the character and, and uh, did something new. I will say... And it's just something that I think um, has a lot of interesting parallels. Blade is fairly similar to the uh, Greek character um, in classic storytelling and or classic theater, Oedipus Rex, in the sense that he's a character who basically uh, is revealed a truth, a terrifying truth, in this case, that his mother is a vampire and still uh, killing people, and basically kills his mother, goes about... Uh, fighting off a plague, in this case vampirism, and prevents um, destruction of a city. 
And for the story of Oedipus Rex, it's something similar along the lines that there's a plague over the city of Thebes. Uh, Oedipus has to find um, find out a secret in order to remove the plague uh, and in order to stop uh, angering the gods. But in the case of Oedipus, he realizes that he's responsible for killing his father and um, mating with his mother in, in, in a sense of incest, which leads to uh, his mother uh, hanging, her, hanging herself and he realizes, and from his uh, revelation of the truth, he gouges out his own eyes and leaves the city of Thebes where he ruled as king, and the, the plague is removed. Um, now, the reason why I bring up Oedipus Rex is because the ending of Oedipus Rex involves him, one, gouging out his eyes as a um, self-punishment uh, self for his, his crimes, but more so, he leaves, he leaves the city of Thebes, this place where he was ruler, and the plague that the, uh, that the gods put over the city is lifted uh, once he realizes the truth, once he accepts the truth. And it's very tragic, it's very sad, and there's more to the story of, of Oedipus Rex than just that. Uh, he later comes up in other stories, um, but for the most part, it's the idea that he sacrifices everything that he has, his power, his, um, his wife, who he figures out is his mother, but he also uh, sacrifices um, his, his identity uh, in order to save the city, because he could he could have continued ruling even with the terrible truth in his mind, and the the plague would continue and thousands would die. But he chose to leave, and Blade is somewhat similar. I wouldn't say entirely, but the idea that it's a character who is trying to prevent a plague uh, realizes a terrible secret and um, decides uh, he must continue with what he's doing. He must continue. Uh, in order to to stop the plague, so not entirely the same, but I do think that there are some parallels there. And as far as trying to create a um, a, a conclusion to the character, there might be something to explore there. But again, that's mainly just my opinion. There's not a lot I have to uh, to back that claim. <laughs> Other than that, um, one final thing I just wanted to to chime in on about uh, for the series of Blade, specifically the first movie, are the one-liners. If you haven't seen Blade, then you're missing out on some spectacular one-liners as probably as great and as provocative as the action itself, where it's silly enough that you can still find it funny, but somehow works only in the film itself. <laughs> there's no other film that can really do, uh, there's no other film I'd say that nowadays could, that could do what Blade did for its time being. It was uh, just around the 90s. It was one of those films that uh, had a um, fairly unknown director for the first film, but managed to make uh, a lot of uh, B-roll actors uh, look good. I had, uh, had A-list actors who could play uh, well good roles. And then in the sequels, they had A-list actors that played not-so-good roles, but that's another story entirely. But just the fact that it has some of these crazy one-liners. For example, Blade refers to all vampires as suckheads, which just kind of comes up here and there, but I still kind of find it funny. And it's just, it's a very weird, I'd say, 90s insult to call someone a suckhead. Just kind of, just kind of out there, just throwing that out there. And of course, there's the most iconic <laughs> line from the first movie, which is, some motherfuckers always trying to ice skate uphill. Now, make with of that what you will, but that type of, I don't know, provocative dialogue doesn't exist, I'd say, in, in superhero movies nowadays. It was it was very experimental, 
it was definitely Wesley Snipes trying something new with the character and getting involved in the character, and he did a lot of method acting to get involved with the character, and this is one of the things, he got to write his own one-liners, and it's definitely something iconic, as much as it is uh, uh, strange, because in the entire film there's nothing to really res uh, relate to ice skating, and so it just kind of pops up out of nowhere, but nonetheless, it is... It's, it's badass and it's funny, or it's, it's as badass as it is funny. So, I don't know, take it with your uh, sense of humor whether or not you decide um, that it's, it's something worth uh, looking back on. I find it funny, I think it's something that <laughs> should, be, should be attempted more often in maybe films or comics, the idea of not just bringing back one-liners, but um, the idea of something that can be both humorous, um, but also um, maybe satisfying for an action film. And that is heavily just um, my my opinion on, on the matter. But it's there. It's there. It's uh, an interesting film. It's not something you see uh, being done very often now. And I'll admit, like, action films or, and um, superhero films have definitely evolved since then. I mean, a lot of what Marvel has done is changed the, the game for Marvel for comic book movies and how they can be adapted and how that they are now uh, quite profitable just from what they've released this year uh, in 2018 and how they have worked uh, so well with just like creating a lot of both villains and superhero characters interacting with each other. But uh, Blade, I still think, is something worth looking back on because it focuses on a lesser comic book character, which was the first example of when they actually took a comic book character, uh, took the continuity of the character, and actually applied it um, with more seriousness to a film where it wasn't something where it was a cult classic film that just never got uh, published. It wasn't something where it was uh, too too silly or taken as more childish. No, Blade is definitely an adult film. I mean, just with the one-liners, just with the um, the dialogue, because they're swearing a lot in the film, and there's uh, plenty of gore for it, but the idea is that they knew what their target audience would be, and they treated it seriously. They didn't try to... Um, uh, panter down to their fans or anything of the sort. They didn't try to belittle anyone of their audience. They just decided, this is what we're going to do to make the film work. This is uh, how serious the character has to be. And part of that does also come not just from the uh, cast and crew, but the idea that the main actor really got involved in the role and really enjoyed it. Uh, Wesley Snipes nowadays has even uh, proclaimed that he won't uh, mind revisiting the role and maybe trying to create a satisfying conclusion for the, uh, for the character. And so it's, it's things like that that you don't see every day um, for, for comic book movies. And that was kind of the, the first, first real uh, comic book movie to take people by storm as far as being uh, just a good movie. And nowadays we have plenty of uh, good comic book movies, uh, but you don't have, I'd argue, the MC universe or the Marvel Cinematic Universe without Blade. Because Blade was the first thing that really showed people it can be a commercial success, it can make money, if you treat it right, if you know your audience and how to make a good story. So there's that. There's uh, the situation of as long as you uh, know how to write a good story, as long as you have people who are definitely into the role and you know the limitations of uh, technology in both CGI and practical effects, you can make um, a good movie, uh, or especially a good uh, comic book movie. And I think that's something that can definitely be, be done more of. I mean, we get it here and there with a lot of comic book movies. Um, they came out with Infinity War this uh, this year, and it was an interesting movie. There was a lot of characters, 
but sometimes I just want to go back to when they focused on just a character and more or less just, you know, human beings interacting with that character, interacting with the uh, magic or sci-fi um, world that they're building. I mean, they've done that a little bit with, uh, with Doctor Strange and other um, minor Marvel characters, but uh, again, there's a, there's a certain sense of humor that comes with all that. Like Ant-Man, there's a lot of humor in Ant-Man that um, is probably great for kids, but it's just something that I don't find uh, always, it doesn't always get my interest in a lot of uh, uh, Marvel movies. But uh, Blade was something where they definitely wanted to go dark, they definitely wanted to take things seriously, and it was gory, it was action-packed, at times it had um, some humor, whether it was intentional or just that's how it um, developed over the years. But that's something you just don't see anymore, I think, with a lot of uh, Marvel movies. There's uh, humor in places that tend to uh, kill the tension at times. Um, characters that maybe have gone through an intense moment uh, will then uh, drop a joke. And even if the joke is funny, it's a situation where do you want to be funny or do you want things to be uh, high stakes and serious? And there is um, a trade-off with both. But uh, I think it's important to to kind of declare that. Because in Blade, they declared it was going to be serious. They were going for a serious vibe, uh, a serious tone for the entire film. And it worked. It was a success for its time. I mean, they made three of them. So for the most part, I think there is something to learn from Blade. I think that there's uh, more to be explored with the character, at least hopefully if someone decides to take it up. But at the very least, I do think people should uh, revisit the entire story and uh, look back at least on the first two third film is totally up to you if you want to watch it, but uh, the first film is, is great. It brings in the character. Second film is directed by Guillermo del Toro, so you got a really good director for a superhero film in the early 2000s, no less. So these are things that uh, you don't see see every day, and just revisiting them, it's, uh, it's interesting. It's interesting to see how things have developed and how they compare to now. But that's the decaf recap. I'm your host, Lucas Velastos. I'll catch you next time. Let me know in the comments down below what you think about Blade. Is it a movie you wish to remember? Is it something you'd rewatch? Or is it just another 90s movie that you think just should be forgotten? Let me know what you think in the comments down below. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. I'll leave a link for that. And yeah, have a good time. See you next week.